0: The lyrics to the extended version of every 90s TV theme song, and you recite the entire script to Wayne's World on Command. Might you wax nostalgic about injuries sustained during backyard wrestling matches? Have you pontificated at length over what beer goes best with Mario Kart? Do you philosophically dwell for inappropriate lengths of time on phenomena like snowsuits, minor five chords, Rocky Four, baseball stats, wall-mounted pencil sharpeners, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Murray Wilson, seasons 2 through 8 of The Simpsons, on villains, then friends, lovers, palindromes, have we got the show for you. It's Calling B.S. with Brandon and Scott, your esoteric clerics for the fleet of mouth and mind. Brutally honest, meticulously obsessive, and painstakingly pragmatic. Check us out, and B.S. I love you.
1: Dueling Genre
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. This week, we are discussing several of the characters from the TV show Lark Rise to Candleford.
1: Which is a BBC period piece drama, and it is delightful and charming, as the best BBC shows are. Yes.
2: (laughs) When they're Uh, not uh, dark and gritty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) There's still a charm about those. Okay. Uh this was a suggestion from listener Linnell. So thank you, Linnell, for asking us to do Lark Rise to Candleford.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad that we got this um that we got this request. And uh this is a show that's been on my list for a long time. Um I have had it highly recommended by people whose opinion I uh value greatly. And uh and so I'm glad I I got this chance to dig into this.
1: Had you watched any Lark Rise to Candleford before prepping for this podcast? I never
2: had. It's been like I said, it's been on my watch list on Amazon Prime for years and I haven't gotten to it and uh and now I did and I'm really happy about that.
1: <laughs> um my wife and I so the episode we're talking about is going to be um the third episode from the third season or series because it's a BBC show. Uh and my wife and I are almost done with the first series but it's one that like we don't feel the drive like oh we've got to watch the next one it's like i'm in the mood for that and mm-hmm. you go visit it and then we kind of forget about it for a little while and it's like we should watch something oh well, let's go do a lark rise um because yep. it doesn't you know li- leave you on a cliffhanger or anything like that it's just i want to go visit these charming people <laughs> in this small british town in the late 1800s for a little while
2: yep so, go ahead
1: Oh, I was just going to say what I believe you're about to do, uh, that we're discussing episode three from series three of this costume drama set in a small English village in the late 1800s. This episode was written by Gabby Chappie, And that is G-A-B-Y-C-H-I-A-P-P-E. And I apologize if I mispronounced either of those names. And it was directed by Patrick Law. And it originally aired on January 24th, 2010. In this episode, a farmer named Alf is moving into his own cottage and to celebrate he has a party and plays a song that he has written. The tune sticks with everyone and the lyrics are interpreted differently but the result is that everyone starts fighting. Like, it just disrupts. It's it's something that just throws the normal balance of this community off. Yep. So a little bit of trivia, and it's only a little bit in this case, because looking around, I saw lots of people talking about this, but I didn't see a whole lot of trivia going on. So Lark Rise to Candleford is based on a trilogy of semi-autobiographical novels written by Flora Thompson. The novels were titled individually Lark Rise. So it was a trilogy. Lark Rise was the first one. Over to Candleford was the second one. And then Candleford Green was the third one. And they were published in 1939, 1941. And 1943, and these stories are set in the late 1800s when she was growing up in the English countryside. And uh, there's this farming hamlet, so it's a, a very small uh, place called Lark Rise. And then there's the larger village called Candleford, but none of these are buff- bustling metropolises. So when we say Candleford is the big city nearby, it's like a city with a main street and some businesses, right. not not like London is right next door to Lark Rise. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's like very very small and only slightly bigger, but uh but there are pretty significant differences between uh the people living in the different in the different towns. It sort of kind of reminds me of like um like Little House on the Prairie meets I don't know, like Little House on the Prairie meets Downton Abbey, would you
1: say? Yeah, a little bit cuz it's it's more uh, like, more than rural-urban, it's the class differences uh, between mm-hmm. between the two communities, I think, is what stands out. And that's a very Downton Abbey um, or, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, the upstairs-downstairs style uh-huh. of drama. That That's where the drama is going to be coming from, because Candleford is not, like we said, it's not urban. <laughs> it's still uh, a pretty, pretty small village. Um, uh-huh. But there's definitely uh, economic distinctions between the people that live in Candleford and the people that live in um, lark rise
2: yeah i feel like the like the kind of drama that we see is similar to the kind of drama that you see in like little house on the prairie so the stakes are never um the stakes don't seem incredibly high you know like the world's not going to end um it's not, not this an like
1: alien invasion or an apocalypse being held off
2: yeah but it's also not like uh you know bodice ripping kind of passionate it's like you know, well, people Thomas and
1: Margaret don't <laughs> just wait for that <laughs> reference later when I meet some <laughs> listeners.
2: Okay, it gets pretty steamy between <laughs> Thomas and Margaret, but but for the most part, uh, you know, it's just it's people living their lives and the kinds of things that seem huge when you're living through them, uh, but when you know taken in perspective, uh it it's 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 just pleasant to, to watch this. So yeah, I li- I I feel like yeah, sort of the class conflict of of a Downton Abbey with the rural setting of like a Poldark, maybe, uh, but with the um, with sort of the charm of Little House on the Prairie.
1: I think that's a good description of this. And just to add into the Downton Abbey uh, the, uh, feel of it, Bates from Downton Abbey is Mister Tibbins in this and that man is amazing on screen oh man <laughs> he's such he a good actor. really good
2: yeah yeah he's good um,
1: last bit of trivia the bbc adaptation of lark rides to Candleford. it aired 40 episodes across four series between 2008 and 2011 i think each of them just has the 10 episodes i think it was even for each of those
2: and when was downton abbey that's post this or pre this
1: I it's post this. I my, I think uh, the actor who plays Bates and Downton Abbey is not in the fourth series of Lark Rise. And it may be because of Downton Abbey.
2: Oh, OK. Spoilers.
1: Sheesh. I don't think it's any like I think on the series, I, I saw something where it's just like he went out of town for a job. <laughs> 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 OK, I'll get to explain.
2: <laughs> cool. Uh, So, Joe, you've got the long synopsis, but before we get there, we'd like to thank each of our listeners uh, for listening, and especially those who support us on Patreon. If you would also like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $1 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office, which is still going well for me, although I see storm clouds on the horizon. (laughs)
1: I think you uh, said all- that I have 11 of the next 13 films that get released in our picks. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> if any of those are hits, I should be able to overcome.
2: <laughs> yeah. And the chances of, you know, one of those being a hit is you have a one in 11 chance. So <laughs> it's going to be a long, a long slog through the desert for me until we get to December. Uh, all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And uh now we'll turn the time to Joe for a full synopsis of this awesome episode of this awesome show.
1: Uh just real quick, I double checked and Downton Abbey began in 2010, which would overlap with that last series of Lark Rise to Candleford. So right. I okay. imagine that is the reason why he's off taking another job as a as a what's it called? A Batman in that or a valet? <laughs> I can't remember what his exact is. Exactly I think he's a valet.
2: A so he yeah. leaves Lark Rise to go be a valet in uh in at downton abbey
1: it's kind of like a a shared universe marvel mcu style right yeah i like it yeah i get it okay i'm sure we're the first people that have thought of that i'm I'm sure it has never been referenced anywhere online (laughs) a little bit of table setting because we're jumping in on season three this is largely set at uh lark rise though some of the action does take place over at the village called Candleford. And one of the main families in this community is the Timmins and their oldest daughter, daughter, Laura has left Clark rise to go work at the post office in Candleford. And uh, some of the characters you need to know Dorcas lane is the postmistress at Candleford and in her household, which is the main group that we see there uh, at the the village. Uh, There's a maid named Minnie who's kind of young and flighty and um, needs some guidance in life. And she's our connection to Poldark. Oh, she? She
2: She is. She's in Poldark. She's Ross Poldark's cousin. Okay. Uh,
1: Then there's Thomas, who is a very pious and serious postman, and he recently married a woman named Margaret, and then over and then there's also Lara, the Timmins' daughter. and then over in um Lark Rise, so the farming community, there's the Timmins, uh, and there's a bunch of other kids too, including this adolescent named Edmund, who's kind of clean, uh, key in this episode. And then the other main person we see is a, um, a kind of young adult named Alf who has just gotten his first uh, his own place for the first time. All right, so we're going to start out this episode with a monologue about crossroads and how crossroads are tricky. Uh, And as uh, this monologue is going, we're seeing one of the farmers in Larkrise, Alf Arliss, demand a raise, and he gets it. And then he moves into his own cottage. And Alf is super proud, and he throws a party with drinking and singing. And Edmund, the adolescent son of the Timmins, he tries to grab a beer, but his parents stop him. And then Alf sings, and the lyrics are important, so I'm going to recite them. I will not sing them in Uh... style. Oh, Says <laughs> so a gypsy came to the castle gate, he sang so sweet and wild, and with his song he stole away the master's only child. Oh, she cast away her silken gown, she cast away her pride, and ran with him into the night, down to the sea so wild. Come home, come home. My bonny little child, come home again to me, sent once more upon our own fireside with your head upon my knee. Oh, I'd rather live an hour here than seven long years with thee and feel the salt spray on my cheek and know that I am free. Oh, she danced in the wind and she danced in the rain on the edge of the cliffs and the shore. She tasted the salt upon her cheek and never came home no more. And then after he sings a song, everyone debates the meaning of the song and nobody can agree about what its theme is or its moral. Some say it's about sorrow. Others about finding someone who loves you. And then they ask Edmund uh, what he thinks the song is about. And he sullenly sullenly says freedom. So we got this kind of petulant adolescent figure going. Uh, And that night, Edmund tells his parents that he's never going back to school. He got his test results in the mail and he says that he failed his exam and his mom wants him to go take the exam again. And he says he doesn't need to take the test if he's going to go work the land. And his mom insists that the wages for working the land are not good enough for him, saying poverty is no disgrace, but only a fool would choose it, which is wise advice. But then she calls her son, quote, a silly little boy trying to sound like a man, which is maybe crossing a line from logical advice into (laughs) emotional advice. Um, shaming of her son uh, a few lines get crossed in this episode and over at the post office uh, Thomas, he has a cold he has this head cold which is making him sniffle constantly Just you're always hearing <laughs> that sound whenever he's in the scene and it is driving his new wife, Margaret, crazy yeah and in the morning uh robert timmons so this is uh the father of the timmons family do you, know what, sorry,
2: do you know what that's called when when a sound drives you bananas
1: i do not know it's the called, technical term it's called for
2: called misophonia it's a it's a real condition like some people have a condition where uh, they can't hear other people like chewing for example it will yes, drive that
1: i've heard that one absolutely referenced bananas. for podcasters to never eat while they're near their mic because of misophonia
2: yeah yeah so that's it So I think she has a little misophonia here with
1: this stuff. So Robert Timmons, again, the father, he tells Edmund that Edmund can go work the land for one day instead of going to school so that Edmund will see what it's like before they have a conversation to settle things that night. In Candleford, uh, there are two sisters, Ruby and Pearl, who are arguing about their expenses, and these sisters run a dress shop, and Ruby wants money for a subscription to a story magazine. So think like soap opera, but in written form. So probably Penny Dreadful kind of magazine, but romantic themed. Uh, And she also needs stamps to write a daily letter to a long distance romantic interest that she has. But Pearl, the other sister says that is too extravagant. And then uh, Ruby says, I need my stories. I need to see how they end. And Pearl yells back, she marries him. She always marries him there. A pound a year saved. (laughs)
2: i love ruby and pearl so much
1: that exchange just was so perfect the, i need to know how my stories end she marries him uh and i love their dresses
2: through- their dresses always match and they're always yes. like so gaudy and so um
1: and they're, they're, they're show pieces yes, right they're
2: amazing and they always match except for when they're fighting then they don't match
1: so now we go over to the postmistress's house, where Doris is concerned that her maid, Minnie, needs more skills to be prepared. Is it prepared Dorcas?
2: Be...
1: Uh, see, I, I thought it was Dorcas is what they said, but then when I looked up online, I saw the character listed as Doris, but maybe that was a mistake. I'm pretty sure I mean, she's Since you're it. thinking it's Dorcas. Dorcas. Let's, go let's just uh, take a quick.
2: Yeah, Dorcas yeah, later. later. I'm looking at okay, IMDB, Dor- the fountain okay. of all knowledge.
1: All right, so Dorcas. Uh, Dorcas is concerned that her maid, Minnie, needs more skills so that she can be prepared to become a wife and a mother. So she goes and asks Ruby and Pearl to train her in knitting. And the evening, uh, oh, and then we cut over to, back to Lark Rise, and after his first day in the fields, Edmund gets his wages, and he's celebrating with the other farmers, and then Emma Timmins storms in. So they're kind of at the small pub. And then his mom just comes roaring into the room and she found Edmund's exam, which says that he had the top marks in the entire county. He lied to his parents saying that he had failed. And it's important to note that this next conversation is in front of all the farmers. In cries. And Edmund says he lied because he knew his parents would make him go to more school, and there's nothing wrong with working the land. It's what everyone else does. And then Emma yells back, You are not everyone else. You are clever. You have prospects. You don't have to settle for a life spent digging turnips and mucking out cows. And then Robert <laughs> Timmons stops his wife at this point because it's gotten a little awkward in the room. And Alf, uh, who is the farmer who just bought the cottage at the beginning when he's throwing the party, uh, um, uh, uh, Emma Timmins says she's so proud of him because he's worked his way up to getting his own co- c- cottage. And he goes up to Emma and says, you told me I raised myself so high, but your son would be settling so low if he had the same life I have. And Emma starts to say, I didn't mean. And he cuts her off saying, you did mean it. You just didn't mean to say it. <laughs> so, Which is kind of now, Yes. And I think we've all been there. Um, Over at the post office, uh, we cut over there, and um, a baby is delivered. And, I mean like not someone was pregnant, a package is left on the doorstep of the post office. And there's a baby inside of the package. (laughs) And we find out that Alf's mom, uh, she's away in prison. And I saw her in series one, she was a mess. And I was just waiting for her to get taken away to prison. And now she has, Uh, but she was apparently pregnant. She had a baby and the baby is meant to be delivered to Alf. But knowing that the postmistress wants her to become a wife and a mother, Minnie decides that she should practice by secretly raising this baby.
2: (laughs) is not the best choice no
1: uh so robert and emma Timmins have a fight about what she said to the farmers and when emma asks robert what she was supposed to do he says i just want you to know your place and i bet that's uh, something that if you say to your wife it's gonna come back to haunt you <laughs> Uh, And then uh, Edmund gets in on the fight And then everyone is fighting And then Robert tells Edmund that while he's under their roof He's going to do what they say So of course Edmund runs off And he goes to stay with um, another family In the village called the Turles and now Minnie, the maid, is trying to take care of this baby, and that, but she has to go off to sewing lessons with the sisters. And while she's there, she sings the song back from the beginning. Uh, and the lyrics are haunting to the sisters, particularly for uh, Ruby, who is the one with the long-distance boyfriend. And she rebels against her sister, Pearl, and says that, you know what, we can save money for my correspondence by not wearing fancy clothes that require expensive laundering. So she throws her dress down, <laughs> and she's going to rebel. Now the Timmins are going to go have another fight. Uh, there's a lot of arguing in this episode uh, about Edmund, uh, but their fight is interrupted by all the kids in the village having a fight outside of their door. <laughs> so, then there's this man named Twister Turl. Uh, so the Turls are the ones, the family where Edmund is at. And Twister, he's this old uh, kind of drunk man. <laughs> He's constantly drinking, but he runs out and he yells that the song is what's done this to this town and someone needs to step in. So he marches off not to go step in, but he goes to see the postmistress. You see, as he tells Dorcas, I'm not the interfering type, but your reputation in that field is stretches far and wide. So <laughs> That's you, such a great line
2: when he says that to her.
1: Yeah. So you need to be the one to go look into the situation down at Lark Rise. And start with the Timmins and their son Edmund. You got to sort them out first, and hopefully it'll fix everything up in Lark Rise. Now we go and we see Minnie. Um, she she's walking along and she sees Alf, uh, the man or the, the farmer who sang the song at the very beginning of the episode. And she tells him that his song was so beautiful, uh, even if people do think it's causing trouble, and Alf realizes if the song is causing trouble, maybe I could just change the song and it'll fix things. And he kisses Minnie on the cheek and runs off. Uh, Thomas, the postman, he still has his sniffles and he looks so sick. <laughs> like his nose is so red uh, and and he's still fighting with his wife. And he gave this great speech. He's like, you promised in sickness and health <laughs> and just trying to guilt her into.
2: I love Thomas.
1: Ignoring his cold. Um, and she decides she just wants them to stop fighting. So when she sees him, she runs up and gives him a passionate kiss. And then he passes out cold on the floor, like just falls over backwards. <laughs> and then we're going to cut over to Dorcas Lane, who is visiting the Timmins. And she she tells Robert how to raise his son. And this intervention does not go well. And then Robert chews her out for what she's doing to Minnie and trying to guide her up to become the kind of wife and mother that Dorcas thinks she should become. And then Dorcas accuses Robert of being a tyrant and he throws it back at her. They're just um, arguing with themselves. Uh, as much as at each other I think at this point and then Minnie goes back and she discovers that the baby is missing and she tells Dorcas uh, she runs into actually admits to Dorcas there was a baby delivered here I was trying to raise it it's gone Uh, and so they uh, run out to find out who has the baby to go start looking around and um, meanwhile back at Larkrise Alf plays a new verse to a song and the new verse goes she danced in the wind and she danced in the rain on the edge of the cliff and shore and she la- tasted the salt upon her cheek and never came home no more till a babe was born on a summer's morn. He was his parents' joy. His mother held him to her heart, her precious gypsy boy. She took him to her father's house and beat upon the gate, crying, come and see my darling babe. We name him for your sake. We named him for your sake. Come home, come home, my bonny little child. Come home again to me and the father of that darling babe shall be. Son to me. They danced all day, they danced all night, they danced on the cliffs and shore, and the master held his grandchild tight and never was alone no more. Um and now the group from the post office um goes and they find uh the timmon's dad and he immediately just drops everything to go help. Like he, he was fighting with Dorcas, but there's a baby that needs to be found. He's on it. Um and then Margaret, we cut back to see Thomas who had passed out and Margaret is like holding uh, a compress to his head. And he explains that I couldn't breathe through my nose. And when you kissed me, I couldn't breathe through my mouth. <laughs> so I passed out. <laughs> and, but he says, it was a pleasant sensation. So they start making out again. but <laughs> then there are periodically gasping breaths. <laughs> so they're kissing. And then he breaks away and goes, <gasps> and then he goes back in to make out some more. <laughs> with his wife.
2: Oh, Thomas, Thomas, he's just so awesome does he say, like, though I will admit, it was not an unpleasant
1: sensation? <laughs> yes, that's pretty much it, yes. Uh, then Emma Timbins finds Alf, and she apologizes for what she said about working the land. And she says she wants to pass on all the good parts of life to her children, love, warmth, people, but not hardship. And Alf says he can't have one without the other. And then Robert shows up uh, with the baby. I can't remember how Robert found the baby, <laughs> but he did uh and he goes to Alf and says you have a baby sister and uh you're kind of responsible for her no stress Alf. here here's a new uh infant for you to be responsible for and then robert and edmund go and sit down for a talk and robert says a man has to love his work sometimes as much as he loves his wife because he's going to spend more time at work than with his wife is there any job that would make Edmund feel that way that he would love. And Edmund says, well, not a clerk like mom wants me to be. And then Robert says, well, what are you thinking? And he says, well, maybe an estate manager. And Thomas kind of says, well, I'll talk to your mom. It's still going to take more schooling. If that's what you want. to Robert says that. Yes. Robert says that to Edmund. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I said Thomas there. Uh, And then Alf is uh, asking the Turtles if they can watch the baby while he works the fields. And they, of course, agree. So at least. He can still keep his job. And then Minnie comes and talks to Alf and says that she was watching the baby. Uh, And then everyone starts dancing to the song. And Robert asks his wife why she hasn't asked him to dance. And she says she's learned her place. And Robert says, can a man not say one foolish thing in life without being haunted by it? Uh, And then he asks his wife to dance. And she says she will take the lead. And then we get a closing monologue about Crossroads again. The end.
2: Job. That's a long kind. That's a long synopsis for a not oh, so long a long episode.
1: It was, it was a fifty-minute episode, but it, it like bounces around from so between so many characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, even then, I was tripping quite a bit. But it, yeah, there's a lot that happens in this fifty minutes, and I think it's pretty. It's a pretty thematically tight fifty minutes. So mm-hmm. it felt weird to try and cut anything. because like, well, this is actually pretty important for what they're they're doing in this episode.
2: Yeah, it's um. I feel like it's it's pretty efficient storytelling. Each of the episodes, I watched the first, I watched the first season, the full first season, and then I think I watched the first episode of the second season, and then I skipped to the first episode of the third season. So, um, but yeah, I feel like each of the episodes, I, I, it would be, sim- we would have a similar issue with any of the episodes, which is, they just cram a lot of story into 50 minutes, which is, um, I mean, it's good storytelling, I think. Yeah.
1: Um I, yeah I I agree with what you said. Um there's quite a lot here, but um like this episode for me felt different than any other episode I'd seen of the first series. So I I think I've probably watched 8 episodes of that first series. Mm. And this one felt like true to the tone of the whole series, but it was also very much its own thing. Um so there was a little more almost um uh like magical realism present in this one, like uh-huh. a, a little bit of a northern exposure feel.
2: You haven't seen the Christmas episode. I have not. Yeah, the Christmas episode goes like full on Dickens. Oh, okay. So Yeah. <laughs>
1: <There's>... <laughs>
2: so it's there not the first time. Yeah, it's not the first time that it does this, but the first time that it does it, it's like, whoa, this is an interesting turn. Uh yeah. because they really do go, yeah, magic realism. I mean, they go full on, like they, they lean hard into this kind of magical uh element. Um yeah, of ghosts and apparitions and dreams and it's it's really like am i watching the same show uh but yeah so i wasn't as surprised when i saw this one probably as you were because i'd i've seen that other one and i i I would be interested to know across the board how many episodes are like that i can't imagine that it's very many seems like they use it with a kind of a light hand but when they do they they use it
1: did the uh, christmas episode work for you
2: Ah, uh, yeah, I liked
1: it a lot. Okay, uh, this one very much works for me. Uh, so, should we dig into some of the, uh, the kind of the threads of this story? Yeah, see? yeah. Um, so, I mean, the magical realism element is this idea that the song can kind of take over the community and cause um, cars cause trouble. But I think that one of the characters even says, "Well, the song isn't actually doing anything; it's just showing us what was already there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we were already uh, a lot of this tension was just roiling underneath the surface, and mm-hmm. the song." for whatever reason uh, or whether it's just actual coincidence of timing or uh, or, or it really is pseudo mystical uh, in, in the lyrics. Um, it causes these people to start expressing um, some of what had been, mm. they'd been burying just, just a little bit.
2: Yeah. Um. um go ahead.
1: No, go. no you know, it's all you
2: No, I was just going to, I was going to uh, see if you want to talk about the character specifically, but.
1: Well, uh, should we start with Edmund and the Timmins?
2: Yeah. Um, this, just thinking about it um, right now, is uh, <laughs> it, interesting to me because I have a 12-year-old son. And um, we're kind of going, I mean, we're not obviously going through the same thing, but similar kinds of things. You know, as kids grow up, they become more independent. Um, they become interested in pushing boundaries and seeing what the consequences of certain kinds of behavior might or might not be um and it's a challenge as a parent. it's really hard as a parent uh to get it right even you know to even to feel like you're getting it right like part of the time <laughs> it's really hard uh and there's this episode there's another episode I, I don't think it's in this one where robert is super concerned about edmund um and telling the truth is that that's not in this episode.
1: Well, in, the, in this one, he it's because he lies about his score. So there's that Yeah, but
2: that. where he talks about his brother.
1: Mm, that's not in this episode.
2: Okay, so there's another episode where um, Edmund is uh, – Robert thinks that Edmund is telling a lie. And he is really hard on him for his dishonesty. Uh, and it's the wife, Emma, who um, – who kind of pushes back against him and says, like, whoa, you need to dial it down. Like, you are really uh, overreacting over this, you know, small indiscretion. Oh, oh, it's um, Edmund is, uh, he's stealing eggs from, from some of the wild birds or something like that. And, uh, and then Robert tells her that he had a brother who started by telling these small lies and then ended up, like, thrown in prison and, you know, completely ruined his life. And so he says, you know, I see my son and I see him make these s- small decisions and but what I really see is my brother making these these huge uh you know, mistakes in his life and and throwing the whole thing away. And that's why I'm so hard on him. So then it's interesting a little bit later now to see kind of the tables turned and now Robert is the one who kind of is trying to understand Edmund and help navigate him through this. And it's um, Emma Emma who is, uh, it's Emma, right? Yeah. Yeah, Emma, uh, who is so upset uh, about what's going on. Um, But I love uh, the the relationship between uh, Robert and Emma. Emma is awesome.
1: Well, I mean, I I agree that uh, Robert's trying to help at first, but he does also do the lay down of the law. (laughs) If you're under my roof, you will do what we say. Um, Which is what actually ends up driving Edmund out of the house for a time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's the one that says, like, go do, you know, go do a day's work and then we'll talk about it. And yeah. So it's just hard. It's a hard thing.
1: And it's also really hard with a husband and wife in dealing with a child. Like, you want to present a united front, but it, it can be, it's very easy to start feeling. I, I think as parents, like, oh, you're one of them is being too soft or too hard. Oh, yeah. Right. And but you also want to, you know, be raising the child together and not let the child play you off of each other. And it's it's a very tricky tightrope to walk sometimes.
2: Yeah. How old is your oldest?
1: Nine.
2: Nine. OK. Yeah. It's just um, <laughs> it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier and it's not like it's the worst thing in the world. It's just really tricky and you want to do what's, you know, you want to do right by them.
1: Yes. Yeah. And uh, I think in like in this case with, with both parents, they're both trying, like you said, to do right. Um, And they're trying to instill the right lessons just sometimes as parents, even with that good intention uh, you know, maybe how it gets carried out can have unintended consequences. (laughs) um and in this case we see it like ripple out even outside of the home you know not just unintended consequences and how your child reacts to it but uh the things that she says in front of farmers it's uh it's pretty problematic for her and uh, her family standing in that community
2: yeah and then the thing the things that robert says to dorcas and that dorcas says to him i mean they're all it's like you're trying so hard to do the right thing but you're just so imperfect right you're so weak and uh and prone to uh these mistakes and and everybody is uh, it, it, the 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 magical realism part of this is that everyone falls into the pit at the same time
1: yes. So, so you see, and, and it's even the children, right? Like the children have yeah. a fight, and it's, it's because your family thinks you're better than us. Because my family works the land, and your dad's a carpenter. Um, yeah, because uh, Robert Timmins is, is a carpenter. He's he's, he's a stonemason or a stonemason, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: but he has a steady job and he earns pretty well, and uh, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't work the land like the others. <laughs> it's um. Yeah, I mean, so if if you're looking at the like Little House on the Prairie uh, Lark Rise to Candleford, uh, Robert Timmons is, you know, is Pa Ingalls. Um <laughs> but I feel like he's a little more flawed than than Charles Ingalls. And you know, Charles Ingalls has his has you know, he makes mistakes occasionally, but I feel like Robert uh we see Robert really struggle with uh parenting in a way that um that, that maybe we didn't see in in the other show
1: my little house on the prairie knowledge is cursory really more more secondhand Uh. uh, full engagement with the primary text
2: oh man well i i i've read uh i've read at least a few of the little house books but it was on tv all the time in my house (laughs) and there are definite um there are definite parallels in the in the characters
0: When I was working uh, for a a TV station, I did previews. One of the shows I did previewing on was Little House on the Prairie. Mm -hmm. And I was quite surprised at how deftly funny some of that stuff was. It's so good. Like, I was like, oh, this isn't this isn't like quaint necessarily. Like, this is this is pretty good. And they know what they're doing. And. I think all of the actors and all of the creators that are working on this, like are in on the joke They're like, okay, like we know that people think this is quaint, but that doesn't mean we have to like make it quaint. Oh yeah. Like there's some funny stuff with like the, the bully girl. Oh yeah. And like, yeah, when she gets married and it's like that, that I don't know. I don't know how to describe that guy. (laughs) He's awesome. (laughs) But I'm like, oh my gosh, like they totally get this. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like this is not necessarily like super sincere. There's there's like a really comedic edge to this. Yeah, that show lasted
2: for a long time. It ran for a long time and you see these little kids grow up and get married and then their kids and um yeah, it's a I cannot imagine for a second that the creators of Lark Rise to Candleford had no uh no knowledge of Little House on the Prairie. Um well, uh, I know that they're pulling from a they they're pulling from a, yeah, a their own primary both. text, right? But, but i just I just can't imagine that they're not aware of it because there's something really similar in the tone, and even in some of the characterizations that seem to me if they are only coincidence, it would be um it would be a a, a great coincidence
1: yeah and in doing an adaptation um I mean you're creating a new product for consumption, and tone is going to be different than what was that, what was in the original text, and so if you're seeing this mirror fairly closely with um little house on the prairie like you said i'm i'm certain there some of that must be deliberate
2: yeah i'm uh, like I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they that they're cribbing off of little house on the prairie or or anything of that i'm just saying i think they're aware of it yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> um and you can you can get tone and style matching without any uh and any concerns about ripping off yeah yeah <laughs> Um so the Timmins uh oh, I think we talked some about the parents and that's probably because of where we're at. What do we think of Edmund?
2: <laughs> oh, I um I mean it's hard for me to see Edmund and not think of my own son. Um but I just I think adolescence is it's such a great time for storytellers to dig into because there's so much change happening. And so many uh, conflicting influences in the life of of adolescence that it just it makes it so ripe for uh, for picking <laughs> for for storytelling. And, and I think we see that with Edmund. I mean, Edmund it, it, Edmund is around in the first season. He's not really, you know, there's there's not really anything to say about him. In the second season, we see a little bit more of him, and now in the third season, now he's a man. I mean, he's a young man, but he, but he's really grown into, uh, you know, one of the main one of the main characters, which he wasn't initially. Uh, and it, it's because he's reached this point in his life where he's able to exercise agency in a way that smaller children just they don't they don't do it. They can't.
1: Like he has a uh, young brothers and sisters that their role in this is basically in one scene. The dad says, "Can we go? Out, can you go out so we can talk?" And they leave. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're then they're there for the fight amongst all the children in Larker Eyes. But that's it. Yeah, yeah.
2: But there's something about adolescence. I mean, this is why uh, you know Freud was so obsessed with childhood, and Jung uh, was kind of went against that and said, it's, it's really not about childhood where we're really formed as an adolescence, because only in adolescence do we have the kind of agency that's necessary for, for real growth. And so that's why, um, the, the focus in, in Jungian psychology and the, and the things that came after it, like, uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, um, this emphasis on adolescence, cause it's just such a critical stage in our development.
1: I mean, in in so many of the stories that we talk about on this podcast, like in in talking about setting and theme, we're talking about transition points and liminal spaces like this in between that's, you know, uh, something but something else simultaneously and becoming something else. And we're not quite sure what. And that is exactly what, you know, adolescence is.
2: (laughs) It's the crossroads, right? And this this episode begins and ends with these monologues about crossroads. And that's what adolescence is a crossroad.
1: Mm hmm. Um, and so it's it's perfectly natural for him to be doing this kind of stretching and straining and kicking against uh, some of the constraints that had been put upon him yeah. as a child um, and to begin trying to assert uh, some uniqueness, some uh, individuality, uh, you know some personal identity, um, versus uh, just aligning with the parental expectations, which it mm-hmm. seems like um, a lot of his life had been up to that point and for the themes of this episode about you know crossroads and um issues of identity uh i, I think it's natural to include an adolescent as one of the the prime stories uh within this. oh yeah
2: yeah it works really it's well the only story that we get. <laughs> <laughs> it works really well given kind of the parameters of this episode Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but we get some other fun uh <laughs> characters that are going through <laughs> some of their own transitions as well do you want to talk about the sisters next
2: uh yeah we can talk about ruby and pearl
1: uh besides like the just the charm of their the dialogue which we already highlighted some of that um i think it's um interesting to think about how they are experiencing some of their own transitions. Um, and I don't know how this goes in the series. I haven't seen but beyond this, but I would imagine when you are two uh, sisters who are both single, single and are in business together. And so much of their identity is wrapped up in their sisterhood, uh, you know, mm-hmm. their family bonds and then their business bonds to have one sister that is exploring a romantic relationship, even via distance, it would be, you know be just such a disruption to the sense of identity of who they are and i think some of uh it's pearl uh some of the way that she's uh trying to keep ruby in her place i think is maybe uh a a sense of that disruption that's pending um mm. as much as it is really about saving their money
2: yeah ruby and pearl are interesting there are a few different episodes where they're really kind of highlighted um mm-hmm. And have you seen the one with their dad?
1: No, I don't think I have. Okay, if I if I have it, it's been long enough that I don't remember it. You know, okay,
2: so they, they have a really oh, the dad is played by um oh,
1: what's his name
2: Davis? I think his name is like Bob Davis or something like that. He's a he's a great like uh, character actor. He's the he's the taxi driver in the first Sherlock episode. You know what I'm talking about? In And in pink.
1: Yes. Yeah. In uh, studying. Painting. Yeah.
2: You know, the taxi driver. Do you remember that guy?
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's him. He has a really great monologue. <laughs> yes. He's,
2: he's the dad. He's a great actor. I love him in everything I've seen him in. Um, he's their dad. And so we learned that they're basically trying to get away from a really bad situation with their dad. And Pearl is the older sister and she's been basically in the role of mother and protector of ruby for years and years and years and um so i think it's an important thing to know about them and 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 to see them in this relationship so to see ruby kind of bucking up against pearl it's uh it's not so different from edmund um uh rebelling against his against parents death. Mhm. Yeah, it's there's a similar thing going on in that pearl is uh uber protective and um but the but there is this other element which is they're much older. I mean they're both neither of them are in adolescence anymore. In fact they're you know, they're pushing
1: they'd be called spinsters in their day. <laughs> I
2: don't want you said it not me. Uh but yeah, no, in their day certainly. Um
1: not by me in their day. Yeah. Were- I would, I would never use such a term. They are
2: women of a they're women of a certain age which means you know they're like more than probably t- 23 years old or something which means <laughs> old maids. Uh but um but yeah so so it, it's a similar dynamic in that there is a kind of parent child relationship in this but it's not exactly the same because they're sisters and it's also not exactly the same because they're they're both much older and 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 therefore Ruby is I think justified in exercising <laughs> Far more agency um, than Edmund would be justified in using in, in his situation. He's just barely, he's just barely moving into adolescence.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. Like yeah, I, I don't know how old he is, but like closer to twelve than mid thirties. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're just it. It the one of the things that I love about uh, Pearl and Ruby is how, um, the costuming whoever is the costume designer for Pearl and Ruby must just think they're lucky stars every day that they got to work on this thing because those dresses are, uh, I mean, like I, I don't even have words to describe how great, how great their dresses are. And when they're, and every time you see them, they're wearing something different. And every time you see them, it's amazing. They're like, they're so frilly and these huge puffy shoulders and, uh, and lace everywhere and um and it 's always themed, the colors always match it 's just it's it 's really something to behold, um, but they 're able to use that in really interesting ways when they 're when they 're fighting and so when Ruby you know takes off the dress and says well i 'm just not going to wear a dress that needs to be laundered anymore it 's like oh my gosh i can 't believe that she 's doing this because because we know what these dresses mean to them uh, it 's so symbolic it 's such a great use of um, of costume in a way that you don't see, I think every day in, in TV. I mean, usually people just wear clothes to wear clothes. You're not often
1: <laughs>
2: using them as a way to, um, to heighten the emotion of, of a, of a scene, but it's done. Yeah, well
1: I, I think there's um, identity establishment through mm-hmm. clothing. That's pretty consistent in, in television, but the way it gets used, like you said, it's just like that plus <laughs> um, on the, on this show. It's not just about who they are. Like it's, um, it's, it's not just to tip off the viewer to like things like their economic status or their attitudes. Right. It is part, an active part of their identity and, um, and, and their role in the community as well. Um, and, and so like when, when she says, I'm not going to wear this, like, well, it's like they pick their outfits cause they need to be seen. <laughs> like, I think when they're talking about their, their budget at one point, she, uh, I, uh, Ruby says something like, well, we can cut out the breakfast at the hotel. And Pearl's like, no, no, that's, that's part of our business <laughs> like we need to be out and about preening <laughs> right. uh in in these outfits so that we'll have more business.
2: Yeah, and I I'm not saying that costume design isn't important or intentional in in storytelling in general. In fact, I think it is and way more than than people realize. Um see for example our discussion of Lando Calrissian's cape in yeah. Empire Strikes Back. It matters. Um, but it's not—it's not very often, I think, that it becomes a, a thing where you you really recognize it gets highlighted, indexed in the way that it does with Pearl and Ruby uh, because yeah. of their job.
1: I completely agree. Yeah.
2: Uh, Thomas and Margaret.
1: I mean, there's not a ton to their story, and I don't know that that one ties as as thematically tightly as these other ones. Uh, It does have characters fighting in a way that we don't normally see, uh, because they, you know, as newlyweds, they're typically one and together. I would assume Uh, he wasn't married in the earlier series that I was um, that Mm -hmm. that I had seen, but I mean, so they do have a fight, and it's uh, it just felt um, so true to um when two people are putting their lives together in a way that they hadn't before uh you don't know what the sand under the saddle is going to be <laughs> yes. what is what is the thing that's going to rub you the wrong way uh that is maybe unanticipated um cuz i think a lot of times couples can see the big red flags and they can address those but something like the way he sniffles when he has a cold no one sees that one coming
2: yeah um uh, yeah i agree i think it's um again it's not the centerpiece of this story but as kind of a garnish i think it works really it works really well and um just the the like the piety and the chastity um the way that he delivers every line is so spot on <laughs> and when he does it with this runny nose and his nose is just so red and he's suffering so much and you know that he loves her with a devotion that um, that is, you know, it, it's admirable. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really. Uh, and and it's it's always so contained, and the way that he that he holds it in when they're courting, um, and how much he loves her, and how uh, how restrained he is all the time uh, when he's around her. And then to see that passionate kiss, he <laughs> just falls out cold onto the floor. It's just, um, it's awesome. It's so rewarding, and it's
1: it, it so um, for for an episode that actually has like pretty heavy emotional stakes. Um, mm. it, I mean, we said earlier like the stakes in this are not world ending, but it is for them in this setting it's parent and child and sisters that are fighting um and it's uh status within communities that are being threatened when i i mean at this point there really is no outside larger world uh that they're not getting the the news delivered into their homes you know uh, of what's going on around them like this is their world and it is being highly disrupted by this even though we might want to say the stakes are pretty small um but you feel the weight of the emotional stakes for each of these characters throughout the episode. And I like how you said it's, it's a garnish, but this one is also like the, the, just the right amount of high comedy. that's being inserted (laughs) into the episode to disrupt some of the weightier um, through lines that we get from these other stories.
2: Yeah. And it's, I I don't want to diminish the, the emotional uh, weight of the, especially the, the situation in the Timmons home. I mean, that's a big deal when you're dealing with, uh, with kids. And, um, and Emma is, I think 100% justified in fighting tooth and nail for the future of her son. And I don't think any viewer, uh, well, okay. I, I can't say that. <laughs> I'll say for me, when I see her, um, really going way out of her way, <laughs> to do what she feels is necessary to protect her son. I can't, um, I can't hold that against her. (laughs) And she does, you know, she gets, she lets her tongue get away from her a little bit. She says some things, uh, but, but none of the things that she says are, um, she's not drifting far from truth in the things that she says. And she's, she, she is laser focused on him and, um, and helping him to reach his potential. And, and those emotionally, those stakes are high. That's, that's as high as it can get is a mother fighting for her child, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it reminds me uh, a little bit of uh, when we talked about in Rudy, uh, the dad pulls Rudy aside and says, like, you got to find where you can be happy. And if you're setting all of your happiness onto stakes that are too high, (laughs) you know, you're not going to be good. And she's doing the opposite. She's saying, don't set your, your happiness on stakes that are, or or goals that are too low that, you know, that, that are below what you're, you're capable um, of achieving. Um, And in both instances, it, you kind of want to say, well, I see what they're saying, but maybe the delivery wasn't right at the moment.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah. And the, the setting, I mean, that's the killer is is, she says this in front of all of these. But the, but the other thing is uh, the, Say in context, this matters because you see the people in Lark Rice struggle. And and you even see Robert Timmins, who is a good man. Um, he's a wonderful artist, he's a great stonemason, and he struggles. I mean, there are there are episodes where um, when he's out of work, they they don't know what they're gonna do. Uh, and really, like, how are you gonna put food on the table? and and Emma has struggled with that like firsthand she's not saying you know this isn't a son saying well i'd like to be a school teacher and she's like no you should be a doctor like <laughs> when he says i want to go work the land he's he's saying i want to go live a life of miserable poverty in which i will never be able to take care of my family in a way that i mean we will always always be on the earth, on, on the very Edge of disaster, which is how these people are. Which is not to say that they're not good people or that they're not um, able to find happiness in their lives. But as a mother, uh, seeing what the people in Lark struggle with, it's no surprise that she, <laughs> especially when he comes when it comes out that he has the best grades in the county, it's like oh no 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 no, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to let this happen. And she, it's it's clear that she sees this situation so much more clearly than than Edmund does yes uh
1: and and I think at at the same time as parents you've got to ride that line of letting the child learn to see things for themselves versus giving them uh you know the the wisdom of your experience or you know just telling them what to see (laughs) because you want them to see things exactly how you see them and it's there's no like there's a reason parenting manuals will never stop being sellers <laughs> at bookstores. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and there, there'll never be, not be a new version of the parenting manual to come out because this is one of the eternal struggles I think of human existence is what is the best way to raise a child. And we're seeing these parents struggle with the best of intentions and they are loving parents. Uh, and in this very episode, we see some misfires, but we also see some great moments of parenting. Yeah. Um, from both of them, but even within those misfires, you know this is coming from the place of hoping for the best outcome for that child.
2: Yeah. I I, I find it super compelling.
0: <laughs> really. <laughs> uh
2: this episode spoke to me. And uh so I'm glad we I'm glad we got to do it.
1: We didn't we uh, haven't talked about dorcas to at all. Oh, <laughs> And, and, I mean, this isn't a Dorcas episode. Like early on in the series, she is one of the, the prime characters. And I don't know if that wanes a little bit. But in this episode, she was not as prominent as I remember from series one.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's important, um, at least at least this far into the thing she's up. She's I mean, she's almost the main character in the in the first series. Certainly yeah. I mean, her and Lara mm-hmm. and their relationship.
1: And Lara was barely present at all in this episode.
2: Yeah. Laura is interesting as kind of the bridge between Larkrise and Candleford. Um, Mm -hmm. But I love the scene where uh, Dorcas and Robert uh, go at it. That's pretty great. It's just, it's such good acting. They're both, they're both great, great actors. And, um, and again, like they're both trying really hard to do the right thing. They both clearly have character flaws, that they are that they continue to struggle with, and I, I, there's a part of me that wonders with a show like Lark Rise to Candleford, um, to what degree are these characters static, or that they you know they change over the course of an episode, and then we get kind of a reset as we sometimes see in in, in, a, in a show like this, and to what degree are they continuing to progress, and I'm thinking about my own life. And I know that in my own life, there are things that I have struggled with all of my adult life. I mean, all of my adolescent and adult life. (laughs) And if somebody, you know, if somebody were looking at my life as a series, as a television series, would they say, you know, Todd's just, he's pretty much what the Todd that we knew as a junior in high school is pretty much the same guy that he is now that, you know. He's, he's older and has kids of his own and he learns some lessons, but he always kind of regresses and falls into these same bad habits or, or would they point at the changes that have happened in my life? And as I think about these characters, I just, I, I kind of wonder about that balance because there, there are things that they struggle with. Uh, Dorcas and her meddling with people, she always meddles with people and she always learns her lesson. And then she always goes and does it again. (laughs) (laughs) And so are we saying, uh, well, it's just a reset because it's a TV show and, uh, and that makes for an interesting character. So she just resets or could we say, well, she's just kind of human and we don't usually learn, uh, you know, overcome our character flaws with, you know, one learned lesson, but it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a lifetime to, to overcome, especially the hard ones.
1: It kind of reminds me of um, listening to the Mission Log podcast when they were doing Star Trek from the 1960s. They were going episode by episode talking about it. And sometimes they would say, did they ever see the earlier episode? Right. <laughs> because <laughs> cause they, they, they've already dealt with this problem and they found a solution. And now it's just being, you know, two seasons on. We're seeing the same thing. And it's, it's like they forgot you know the earlier episodes which i mean that is the history of television like it it went from extremely self-contained episodic television to now where it is hyper uh long form uh storytelling um and and this feels uh, like the question you ask is to see like which side does this ride on and i haven't seen it enough to know but it, it definitely feels a little more episodic like i said my wife and i we've we've watched um, almost all of that first series, but we never felt like the need, like, oh, I have to watch another one right now. And maybe because we've been trained by this long form storytelling that, you know, there's a cliffhanger. You've got to watch the next one for the character development <laughs> the progression and the plot. Um, and this is more like drop in and enjoy a day with these characters of really fantastically written, thematically tight uh, storytelling with um, actors who are bringing uh, their their A game to each of these roles.
2: Yeah, I, the more I think about it, in the, in the case of, of Lark Rise, I, I kind of find myself leaning towards um, – I think this is less episodic than it, than it f- feels or looks at, at face value. I think one uh-huh. of the reasons why we want to watch – why we want to binge shows and why y- you have to watch the next episode of Lost or whatever the show is that you're watching, I think it has way more to do with plot than it does with character development. I don't think you were like. I have to watch the next episode of. I don't know what are what are kids watching these days. Scandal. I have to watch the next episode of Scandal because I want to watch how um, Olivia's character develops over uh, 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 over the next thing. No, you want to watch it because you want to know if she's going to blow up in the bomb or not, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, I think the thing that pushes you to push play immediately is not long term, uh, like like a long term investment in character's development. But a short-term investment in, I want to know what happens, and I can't go to sleep if I don't know if the bomb goes off or not.
1: I like what you said about binge uh, binge watching and the drive that comes from uh, the plot. But I think the shows that kind of stick with us after we've binged them, you're going to see some of that long-form character development as well. So one example that comes to mind is Stranger Things. Like the character Steve Harrington from season one to season two is one of my favorite transformations Oh yeah. in – in a character um and that show is built to force you to binge and just watch the next episode but if it had just been plot and we hadn't formed connections with characters or been interested in seeing how the characters evolve i don't think it'd be something where like i'm thinking like oh when season three is coming out i need to go rewatch season one and season two
2: (laughs) yeah when i think about larker eyes i mean i think about dorcas and um her change over time and she does struggle with uh being Uh, overly involved in people's lives. But I also think that in her relationship with like uh, Sir Timothy at the beginning in the the first season, um, that we do see change and like real change and growth in her. And and I think you can point at Robert Timmons and say, uh, yes, he's always going to struggle with his pride. He's always going to struggle with his, you know, the fact that his political views differ from a lot of the people around him. There are things that he's always going to struggle with. And he may learn some lessons and we may see see him kind of reset just because this is it's it's pretty deep into his character but we'll also see him change like the way that he reacts to the dishonesty of his son in the in the episode with the eggs is different than the way that he reacts to the dishonesty of his son in uh in this episode even though uh it's still you know he's he's still not super happy about it i think he handles it a little better in this one than he does in in the previous one and it shows some growth in him so even though we don't have uh this like feel this necessity to binge this because there's a cliffhanger at the end of every episode I think if you take a step back and look at the characters that you would see growth in them but that you will also see that there are some things that just they just hang with us longer and just as it just as it, it seems weird to expect um uh it seems weird that they don't go back and, and you know, oh, if you looked at a previous episode, you would have the solution to this problem. But how many times have you had the same conversation with your wife and you're like, I can't believe we're talking about this again? <laughs> Maybe that's never happened to you, but it's happened no, to me uh, no. on more than one occasion where <laughs> I think, I okay, here I am. I know I'm going to get criticized for this thing again. And like, I really want to get better at this, but I've been working on this now for decades and <laughs> I'm still not great at it. But, you know, if somebody was watching the story of my life, they'd say, didn't you see the previous episode? And I'd say, yeah, but guess what? It's still really hard for me.
1: <laughs> I, I like that. Um, we're probably ra- heading towards the, the wrap up. Uh, last character I think that we should probably just touch on a bit is Alf. Um, oh, yeah. Who, who we haven't addressed yet and and maybe caused all of these the drama that we see in this episode with his his song. Um, I like Alf a lot. He, he, there's something that's just kind of like, it feels so good to see how proud of himself he is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when he, when he gets his own cottage, like it just, even though I was jumping from it had probably been several months since we watched the last episode of the series one into series three to seeing him do that. And like the actor did such a good job of radiating this kind of like sense of accomplishment. Oh yeah. Um, that, I think even if you hadn't seen any previous episodes, you could just jump in on this episode from season three and still feel that, um, you know, the, that this is something that he's been working towards and we're just seeing it. Um, I think a lot of stories that we read about, it's, it's like, we see struggle, 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 but it's interesting to see this one just go like this episode jumps in at accomplishment and party. (laughs) It's like, Oh, that's, that's nice. Yeah. But
2: you also see him struggle. I mean mm-hmm. the situation with his mom and dad is super hard, and yeah. he has he has really really worked um you talk about uh, sometimes we talk about it, you know if a character has earned what they have, and Alf has earned every uh every penny that he has
1: <laughs> he any joy that he has i i feel like yeah, I just oh, remembering yeah. what it was like in season uh, series one yeah and any joy that he has good on you Alf. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I feel like, you know, when Emma tells him, you know, you've brought yourself so high, I think she means it. I think she's really sincere in that. And I know it. things get muddled when she, when she goes in and says what she says to Edmund. And the fact that she says it in front of all of those other guys, is it's really not. It's not a great move on her part. But I feel like um, she can feel so happy and so proud of Alf like we do. And also not want her son to follow in those exact same footsteps like we wouldn't, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Alpha is just, he's great. And um, his singing voice is awesome. And I like the way that he, I mean, he he maybe causes the problem initially, but he also maybe solves the problem at the end <laughs> uh, in using his creativity, right? Like uh, he, he writes a song and then he's able to write a, a different end and uh you know there's real power like talk about a character with agency uh who pushes the story along Al- alf is driving this whole thing and uh and that's that's a remarkable uh, you know a remarkable thing for any character i think
1: and i think it's also worth saying like um for where he begins so is it, it I, do we see his father in series one i i just remember his mom being yeah there no constantly... he shows up
2: at the he shows up at the very end okay of season but, one
1: but his mom is not a helpful mother (laughs) like she is any money that they get she immediately spends on alcohol she is involved in tons of shady things which is why she's in jail uh in this series um and so like his accomplishment maybe isn't as um you know to, to the world at large isn't as significant as what um Emma wants for her son right but from where his starting point is to what he achieves that's pretty darn significant what he's able yeah. to do and i mean it's like it's like the classic like w- w- i mean some of this series is about class issues and things like if you're born into wealth it's less impressive to be wealthy as an adult <laughs> <You know? laughs> like like sure okay enjoy it but it, it's less impressive than someone moving in this case from like the lowest of poverty at lark rise to earning his own cottage as a fairly young adult yeah, um, I, I I think all of all of that com- accomplishment is very earned by him. Yeah, yeah, I lo- I like
2: Alf a lot. I think I mean I th- I love. Um, I'm glad that you read the whole song, um, because I think there's a lot of <laughs> like, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Uh, but I think it shows a lot of wisdom on the part of Alf. First of all, I just admire anybody that can write poetry because it's, it's, it's amazing. And the the older I get, the more I appreciate, um, good poetry. And this is, I, I think, pretty good poetry. And, uh, and then to be able to, um, you know, to look at a situation, to recognize that there's something going on, and then to be able to create again, a second time, something that is, uh, not destructive, but, um, like healing. Uh, I think it shows a lot of wisdom on the part of Alf.
1: He's wise. And I also um, like very much just the multiple interpretations. <laughs> like Immediately they hear the song and like, what did you get out of it? And once they yeah. say like the one about like, oh, it's about finding love because it's about the daughter and then it's about loss because the daughter leaves her father uh, mm-hmm. and it's about freedom because the, you know, for Edmund, because it's about the daughter, like leaving the, the you know, the tyrannical rule of, of parents. Um, and, and each one of those, the second it's said out loud, you're like, oh, I could see that. I understand where that character is coming from. And I think that's some of what we try and do in this is like explore meanings and stories. And sometimes, you know, we end up with pulling different themes um, from a story. I think as, as a show, like as an episode, this, um, you know, explores just different versions of a similar theme. But I love that opening moment where, um, you know, the audience reception uh, is, is so different. But I also really like that. They ask Alf. It's like, I don't know. (laughs) what it's about. Um, Like they give us the death of the author from the author's mouth right there. Like, Oh yeah. Go make of it what you will.
2: Yeah. We had this conversation just today in this, um, this class that I'm teaching about beauty and, uh, and we've been talking about, uh, you know, how do you, how do you know what beauty is? And so we were talking about uh, uh, art and the creation of art and you have the artist and the, the object and the and the receiver or the viewer and um I, you know i was talking to my students about how at different points in in history and even you know depending on the professor that you have in in any different class you'll have a focus on uh we all what we all want to think the, like the myth of the of the literary professional i think or the 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 professor is that we can look at just the object and if we all just use our brains, then we can look at the object and we'll all de- derive the same meaning from it. Because you know Hamlet is Hamlet. Doesn't matter who you are, Hamlet is going to have meaning just because it's it's Hamlet. And then there are other people who will focus more on the author and say, well, if you understand Shakespeare and his his uh, you but know the really historical context and yeah <laughs> yeah that 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 matters to the meaning of the work and that if you understand that stuff, then you go look at hamlet Hamlet's gonna mean something different if you know what all the books were on Shakespeare's shelf and you know uh what his you know who his friends were and what the Globe theater was like and all that stuff matters uh and then there's this other part which is the the receiver and or you know the reader or the viewer or the listener, and we never want to it, i mean it's hard for us to admit that that person really matters, (laughs) but I think it really does. And I love the way that this, um, that this episode highlights how, what this, this horizon of expectations, this thing that you bring to the table, uh, it really will impact the way that you experience something and the meaning of a text. And, and it doesn't invalidate your, um, it doesn't invalidate the text because you have a a different reading on it it also doesn't mean that everything is relative and that you know whatever whatever you think is great that you still have to um you know do do good reading and (laughs) and try to understand what's going on and and people will uh, maybe over time tend to point at the same kinds of things uh but it matters you know if you're a parent If you're in the situation that you and I are in, where we have these young kids that are moving towards adolescence, we're going to view this in a very different way than somebody who is an adolescent, or is young and in love, or newly married, or
1: uh, or older and looking back. Those things matter. So, all right, I think that is as good a point as any to wrap up this discussion. So, thank you, listeners, for joining us Uh, in one of todd's very last episodes uh one one of the final ones that we'll be uh putting out as uh the co-hosts that we've been for almost 200 episodes so thank you for joining us and for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows please go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofte, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out out episode number 55, when we talked about Grand Hotel. Or episode number seventy-seven, when we talked about Jane Eyre. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at Protagonist at Todd K Mac, and at J Dorowski, and our producer Andrew is at Diz minute And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We enjoy our conversations there with our listeners, and we would love for you to stop by and say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a donation by going to patreon.com protagonist. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Pause. This will be an edit point, Andrew. A small child has just entered my recording space. Hello, Kit.
2: Yes. My blanket's too
1: hot. Then I would recommend you not put it on your body.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I I want a blanket that's not that hot.
1: You want a blanket, but you don't want it to make you warm.
2: Yeah, so I don't get too cold.
1: Do you have a blanket in mind that you would prefer? Do you have a sheet? No. I... Do you want me to just put your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sheet on your bed? What sheet would I have then? Well, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle one. You want me to just put that on you instead of a blanket? Yeah. Okay. No, what...
0: But what, what sheet would I have? The one that's there. I'll come pull it over your body. I'll be back in a minute, guys. <laughs>